Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. All right, Tony, it is good to be on with you. Uh, how are you enjoying this springtime? How are your Orioles doing? Uh, they're doing bad, not as bad as they thought they would be, but, uh, I mean, they're falling apart slowly. I mean, Chris Davis set a record this year, though. Uh, did you hear about that? Has he gotten a hit yet? He has gotten uh, a hit. I heard he had not gotten a hit in a long time. Has he finally gotten one? I think he went 53 at-bats without a single hit, which is the longest in Major League history by, I think, five at-bats. Man, that's tough. Yeah, so he's gotten hit since, but, like, two or three of them. And one of the fascinating things I was reading about that was – of all those who had gone at least 40 at-bats without uh, getting a hit, the vast majority didn't get a chance to get a hit after that point because they were demoted. And uh, there, I think there has not been a single player, I think, in Major League history uh, that has gone f- at least 40 at-bats without a hit that has, uh, that has stayed in the Major Leagues more than a couple of years after that point. So not a great sign. Whew, yeah, I think it's, after a while it just becomes like a mental thing. But... Uh... Yeah, I feel bad for the guy, but yeah, good man, he is getting compensated like. well for it. So yes, yeah, um, get twenty million dollars a year to be bad at your job. <laughs> this is an impressive thing. <laughs> Do you fear how uh, how the rest of the Orioles season will go, um, or Chris Davis's season? Yeah, you know. I fear that they won't put somebody in at first base to actually get some experience that might be a future future decent baseball player. So I do fear in that. Uh, I think I've consigned myself to uh, this sadness that we're going to be the worst team in baseball, though. It may last. Morning may last for the, the night, but joy comes <laughs> with the morning. So take heart, brother. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, but this this fear it may scare you. I don't know. Maybe it would scare you to even not be an Orioles fan. It would you know, shift <laughs> your allegiances down uh, down the the way there to the Nationals. I don't know. I hope yeah. not. Um, no. But speaking of being scared, have you ever seen? I think they aired it on MTV and other outlets. But uh, the the show Scared Straight. I have not. I don't watch as much MTV as you apparently. Well, you know, keep enough of the culture. No, I haven't seen MTV in quite a while. But yeah, so are you familiar with Scared Straight? I don't think so, actually. Maybe I could have done some uh, more show prep and actually Googled it. But I don't think I'm very familiar with it. Okay, so on Scared Straight, they take these juvenile delinquents who have done some kind of petty crimes and things, and they bring them into a jail and they bring some prisoners in there who usually are serving, you know, life sentences and they're murderers and things like this. And they're often big and, you know, look like they could be playing defensive end in the NFL. And they're all tatted up. And they come in and they, they talk to these kids and like, you know, you think you're so tough and you're so bad. Well, you know, I killed 10 people and you're going to be my cellmate and I'm going to do this and this to you. And, um, you know, as you'd imagine, there's quite a bit of profanity, um, these kinds of things. But they're really trying to intimidate the kids and to scare them strong. Um, and so, I mean, it was entertaining to watch just, you know, these, some of these kids that, that thought that they were really bad, you know, the kids like five, six and weigh 
he's 120 pounds and you know got a neck tattoo and he thinks he's bad and then some some big guy who could break him in half is you know up in his face and yelling and cursing at him and you know the kid breaks down in tears um but that idea that they could scare the kids off the path that they were on I think is a helpful introduction to what we want to talk about, uh, about scaring kids straight out of hell. Um, so, Tony, what was your first exposure to hell that you can remember? Because I know you didn't grow up in the church a lot, but what was your first exposure to it um, that, that sticks out? Well, I actually just got back last week, so that was my first exposure. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, uh, uh, my uh, I think you can my, write a book. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, my, I think my first experience. I was thinking about this for a while, and I couldn't definitively figure out. And my best guess is my first experience was the movie Spawn uh, from the early early mid '90s. Uh, was probably around mid like '94 or something like that. Was probably my first exposure to hell, uh, which is a ridiculous and terrible movie about like basically a superhero that's from hell. It's really dumb. And I think my uh, response to that experience of hell was really disgust with uh, that. Uh, I mean, it was I think everything was a kind of grotesque and gruesome. And, you know, and I think that was kind of a just a, a disgusting portrait of hell. like everything. I mean, that would I mean, like roach pizza, I think, was in that and stuff like that. It was weird. It was a terrible movie. <laughs> I think I remember hearing of the movie. I, I did not see it. John Leguizamo um, was in it. So, you know, since that point, since your first introduction to Roach Pizza in Hell, <laughs> have you encountered maybe highly emotionally charged preaching towards kids and youth that really played up Hell and you know, how awful it was? That uh, I would say probably not as much as you. Uh, that uh, you know, I think some of it is just different context. Uh, that uh, I think I've encountered more the other extreme. I've encountered more of those who are underplaying hell and those who don't uh, think that we can think that we should not talk about hell at all with children or youth. Uh, but I'm, I did. I will say that my imagination, my guess on what Baptists were like prior to moving down to Georgia was that I thought all Baptists were kind of uh, just preachers that would talk to children and youth and adults and every other word was hell. You're going to burn buddy. You're going to burn hell. That's right. When I was I was in seminary, a friend of mine from rural Tennessee introduced me to the phrase turn or burn <laughs> and uh, that was a common thing around his parts. Um <laughs> But but yeah, I, I have probably just more time in the church and, and you know living in the South. Um, now, in one level, I appreciate the people's willingness to address hell. I mean, because I've found myself even at times facing the fear of man and not, and wanting not to say that everyone's going to be saved in the end, but sort of skirting past that and realizing it later and having to repent. You know, um, and, and not to say that every time you speak about Christ that you need to talk about the terrors of hell. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's what we're called to. However, we do have to be, we do have to teach about it. Um, so, what, with that said, what does the Bible teach about hell and judgment generally? Yeah, so I think it teaches us uh, multiple things. First of all, I think it teaches us that uh, this is um, God's judgment upon sin. Uh, and Matthew ten twenty eight is uh, very very clear on that. Uh, so and uh, Matthew ten twenty eight uh, it says, "Do not fear those who kill the body, but not 
kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both uh, soul and body in hell. Uh, it's shown that to be eternal separation from God's special presence. Uh, God is it does exist in hell. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But God's blessing, special presence, is not there. Uh, and hell as well as separation from one another. Uh, I think Matthew twenty five forty one shows us that, as well as many other places. Uh, but also, I think the Bible teaches us that... Uh, and uh, keep listening after I say this, uh, that hell is not eternal. In fact, hell will be swallowed up by the lake of fire in Revelation 20. Uh, something that's uh, where uh, the lost will be given back their physical bodies and they will uh, be punished uh, with their, as their whole selves for forever in the, in the lake of fire. Okay, one thought for a minute there, you're, you're an annihilationist or something. But uh, <laughs> So yeah, I think that's a... Um, that is a good, succinct teaching that, yeah, and it's not just an isolated verse here or there. I mean, it's Old Testament, New Testament on the lips of Jesus himself, um, that God does care about how we treat him and how we treat each other, and that he will call us to account because he is so good. Uh, he will deal with evil and with rebellion and sin. Um, so how does the Bible present hell and judgment in relation to its other major themes? It was established it's, it does address it as a major theme, but how does it address it in relationship to the other ones, like proportionally or just however you want to address that? Yeah. I, so the Bible's teaching on hell, I think it, I will use the term evolves. doesn't mean it changes. I think it, it, presentation of it is more filled out, especially as we go throughout the Bible. In fact, I think the most clear teaching about eternal torment is in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. Uh, but I think the spiritual, this idea of spiritual death, which is really the basis of hell, spiritual separation from God's holy presence, goes all the way back to Genesis 3. I mean, that was the original consequence of the fall. It wasn't, I mean, that they, it said that they would die that day when they ate of the fruit. They didn't physically die. The point was that they began this process of separation, that they began, that they gave themselves a sentence to what is hell, basically, uh, unless they got salvation through the Son. Uh, I think it's used to convey justice throughout the Bible uh, and uh, and to show the depths of our salvation, the, the extent. So oftentimes when hell is most overtly shown is in passages that show the glory and greatness of our salvation because it's this great justification, justification. Uh, just a position there. Uh, and uh, it's also, I think, given often to show God's justice against those who hurt, those who are following after Christ, those who do great injustices in this world. Uh, it's the presence that God will bring ultimate justice. As well said, I mean, it's clear, it is a major theme in the Bible that runs really from Genesis 3 on. And it culminates at the end. I mean, there's final salvation for God's people, and there's final judgment for God's enemies. Uh, I don't remember hearing it pointed out um, when we were in seminary that those who would say, oh, well, you know, God, the evolution sort of of the teaching, um, that sort of God gets softer and nicer as time goes on. So, well, they haven't read the book of Revelation because it was written chronologically last, and it appears in the canon as the last thing. And God is, is very angry about sin and injustice uh, in the book of Revelation. Now, he also brings glorious salvation and rest for his people, um, but he does subtle accounts. I mean, it, there's some pretty hair-raising things in the book of Revelation. Um, and so, but the judgment does not necessarily appear 
appear on every page or as even the, the loudest note that sounded. Um, but uh, it's something else you mentioned about just the, um, the juxtaposition of, of salvation over against judgment. Um, you know, Jesus said the one who's been forgiven much loves much because they see from what they've been rescued. And, and so they are so thankful and love their Savior. Um, so is hell something, given that it plays as a dominant theme in the Bible, an important piece of, you know, the, uh, of the teaching of Scripture, is hell something that we should tell kids and youth about, or is that just kind of emotional manipul- manipulation, or is it too scary? Um, what do you think about that? I think my first word, and what could be the final word in a lot of ways on this, is Jesus did. I mean, Jesus, many of the crowds when Jesus was preaching, a lot of times we see mention the crowds, and it'll mention how many adults were there, and not to, not to mention the children and, and women, uh, which is to say that there were children and women there. I mean, regularly, I mean, that was the culture, that to go out and preach, you basically brought your family. And so we know, and we also know even from times which Jesus would bring up hell, and then the events like Jesus uh, blessing the little children would be that probably in the same event, in the same time period. So we pretty much have great certainty from that, that Jesus, in fact, uh, that uh, taught about hell to children, mentioned hell in the presence of, of young children and teenagers. Uh, and he didn't shy away from these themes uh, with different audiences. Uh, but I think also the very real point is that with hell is that the good news means nothing without knowing the bad reality, uh, and I think that applies with any kind of good news. Uh, that you know, the that uh, if you don't present to somebody what World War II was, uh, that uh, VE Day, Victor in Europe Day, is going to just seem insignificant, and who cares? Uh, but when you see the great tragedy that the salvation was brought from, you can really appreciate what the salvation was at all. I think that's a really good point. I mean, Jesus himself, um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is telling people about judgment, even small kids, and just bringing up that cultural aspect of it. Um, and so, yeah, I don't. I think we can say with confidence Jesus was not emotionally manipulating people, um, but he did love them enough to tell them the truth. The just judgment of God in general, that, that plays into so many Old Testament stories. I mean, like, think Noah and the ark. Um, often we just emphasize the fact that Noah and his family and the animals got on the boat and everybody's, you know, the animals are singing and happy and whatever. Um, and we leave off the point that every other living thing uh-huh. on the dry land is killed. Um, now, I think you can obviously really play that up. But um, do you think we should talk about God's just judgment that 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 does factor into so many different accounts um, in, in the Old Testament in particular? So what always fascinates me is the very, very, very first time that parents are commanded uh, to teach uh, their children about a specific thing, about the, whether it's the first time there's any commands to teach children things, is, uh, <laughs> is parents are commanded and adults are commanded to teach their children about the, uh, about the, about the uh, first Passover. And uh, where, I mean, the event literally where God in his judgment went and he killed the firstborn children of all the Egyptians. I mean, that, that's literally the first thing that, uh, that parents are commanded to teach their children in the Bible. 
It's crazy, but it's true. And it also had a very bloody illustration too. Like, oh yeah, guys, um, you hold the hyssop, and we're gonna paint the doorway here. Exactly, and that's the first thing, and I think that tells us a lot. I think that tells us that God wants us to teach about judgment to, to even young children. Uh, but and I think some of the reasons why is. This shows us that actions have consequences and actions have impacts that often even go beyond this life as we see in hell, but do have real impact in this life. Um, but also it shows, and the necessary thing we need to teach our kids, that the injustices done in this world are not forgotten. And the injustices done now are not going to be forgotten. When we're, we are hurt, when ev- great evil is done, that unless that those that perpetuate the evil come to repentance and faith sooner or later god's going to cut them down like johnny cash thing man you're bringing in uh bob dylan johnny cash i think no that was the free the, the last one we recorded you talked about bob dylan so um maybe bob you could bring in like better. kid rock or something you know um <laughs> so <laughs> a little bit worse musician there <laughs> Uh, no, I think that was an excellent point. It just the, the first time, um, just one thing, the illustration before the children would have been bloody and they killed this animal uh, and ate it. But then also what was going on in Egypt and then what happened soon after with the Exodus. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, the judgment is real. And so, I mean, hopefully the parents that are going to be doing this, they, they've already got some level of judgment in their home and so it provides just richer context that you know we're, we're teaching you we're disciplining you giving you consequences for your sin because um one day you will have to face god for your life and um and god is a judge now he's also a savior but um they need to understand both so how can we teach about hell and judgment to kids in a way that's biblically faithful um, but without resorting to, to a manipulation. Um, you know, like what, what should we do? Uh, what should we avoid? So first and what we should avoid, uh, we should not overly speculate uh, on hell. I, a lot of the depictions in hell, a lot of what people think of when they think of hell is actually given from things like Dante's Inferno, uh, which is not a biblical source. <laughs> It's true, or you know, or silly uh, that Faustus and stuff like that. Uh, great historical works, great uh, fiction works, but that have no basis in reality, no basis in what Scripture overtly teaches us. You know, we don't know. We don't know what hell looks like. The Bible doesn't give us a ton of details. We, it gives it shows us how bad the experience will be. Uh, but you know, we don't we don't know that there's going to be seven layers of hell or anything like that. I mean, the Bible just doesn't tell us that. Uh, we don't see. You know, I think if you depict demons uh, with pork, you know, with uh, with pitchforks dancing around uh, a spit roast of, uh, of of Hitler or something like that, I mean, this is not something the Bible tells us. Uh, it's just speculation. Uh, and I think along those lines, also don't portray. Uh, hell is being dualistic, which is often done. It's seen uh, even back to even back to uh, Paradise Lost and all the resource. It's kind of portrayed that hell is the as the home of the devil and the kind of the anti god, and heaven is the home of God. Uh, and so it's almost like a yin to the yang in that kind of sense. But that's not at all a biblical portrayal of hell. In fact, Satan doesn't rule over hell. Satan will one day suffer for and be tormented in hell. He doesn't get to be the boss over hell in that kind of way. 
that we portray it. Uh, but also teach, but do teach then that we deserve hell. Uh, not just the really bad people. Hell is not just something that's deserved by the drug addict, by uh, the whatever we define as the really terrible sin, but that mom and dad, that the kids, we all deserve, every single one of us deserves hell. Uh, but I think in that we teach then from... Uh, uh, in contrast to what we deserve, we teach the great holiness of God because the holiness of God is why hell is a necessity of understanding how God is perfect and how God is set apart from us is why we would believe in hell at all. I think those are really good pointers uh, on just some, some guidelines on teaching because you can really play it up in a way, particularly to children, but even to youth. Um, that would be, I think, fall into the category of an emotional manipulation. Like I've mentioned on this before, the story about the the church that, you know, they had the two barrels and they gave the kids their names on a piece of paper. One barrel was heaven, one was hell, and they lit the hell one on fire. And they're like, okay, everybody, come put your name in the place that you want to go. And then it's like, oh, revival, everybody was going to heaven, you know. Um, you put t- little kids and you flames, I mean, like they're going to be scared or – you know, I've heard Matt Chandler joking about you know, talking to a small child and being like, well, do you want to come to heaven with mommy and daddy or do you want to burn in hell? Well, you know, Johnny, of course, wants to be with mommy and daddy. He's like, OK, well, let's go talk to the pastor. Um, that's not so helpful. Yeah, to teach them about the reality of hell and judgment, but um, it can be done in a way that's not or less less emotionally hyped. So we talked about, you know, talking with children in particular. Um, I, I think it applies to youth as well. But so we, we talked some, Tony, about um, with children in particular. But how can we teach about hell and judgment to youth because they've got a they're, – they're not as concrete of a thinker and all those kinds of things. How can we teach them in a way that's biblically faithful without moving into manipulation? That's a great question. Before I do answer, by the way, I do want to say, you know, your last answer to your question about the fire and the, and the uh, pits or never and that revival, it did make me think that probably would not have worked towards me. When I was a kid, I was a bit of a, a pyromaniac, so I don't think I, think <laughs> I would have delighted in burning <laughs> So just wanted to put that. But in teaching nice. it to youth, first of all, going back to the holiness of God, like I said with children, we have to uh, teach both children and youth the holiness of God. And I think we a real theology of hell stems from understanding that. Uh, and so I just, even though it's stating the same thing, I think it needs to be said again. Uh, but I think one difference with youth is one thing that you need to do is engage with the opposition to the belief in hell. The chances are that uh, you're that a teenager is going to have friends that believe this idea of hell is horrible and bigoted and evil uh, viewpoint mm-hmm. that anyone would go to hell. Uh, and so I think you need to be able to discuss and be able to hear what their thoughts are on that and be able to uh, be able to present accurately the beliefs of those who disbelieve in hell and. Are, and I think exchange in an intellectual way and, and a helpful way with those thoughts, with the truth that comes from the gospel, with the truth that comes from the reality of hell that that makes it that us makes us need salvation from it. Uh, but also, um, I think one thing when we talk about hell, 
uh, a misnomer that we can have again is that you know people all these people in hell that they're just longing uh, that uh, they wish that if they could get in a time machine they'd come back and they'd have faith in Jesus and they repent of their sins and everything uh, but I and I think when you present it that way, then a lot of times teenagers are going to struggle. How is God just if that was the case? But I actually don't think that's what the Bible presents, uh, the picture of eternal suffering. And Tim Keller has actually written a lot about this, even in the book that I'm reading now, uh, The Reason for God. And, uh, and one image that uh, Jesus gives of hell, he describes the rich man and Lazarus. And this rich man is burning, is suffering in hell. Uh, and he cries out, and he and he's upset because he didn't have enough opportunities to repent. And basically, he's blaming God that uh, he um, blaming God for him being in hell, rather than realizing that this hell was what he deserved. So even in his eternal suffering, he that he's indignant and he's stuck in his sinful uh, blaming of others that goes all the way back to Adam. So I think everyone that's in hell is somebody who that uh, who you know they want. They'd want out, but they aren't weren't willing to do what it takes to truly repent and believe. They don't have a new heart, and there's no and there's no situation where they would have lived long enough and gotten a new heart. I think there are some really helpful things. Uh, I've heard Tim Keller's friend Don Carson talking about the same um, aspect in Scripture and how you look at Lazarus and he's or uh, at the rich man and he's still trying to to boss Lazarus around and he turn you know like we'll send him to to bring me some water yeah. um, and, and he's he does not have a love um, he's still trying to be in charge and um, and so there's a place in Revelation too I can't remember the the reference but it talks about let the let the wicked one be wicked still um, I think that you're right that there yeah, are Revelation twenty two. Revelation 22. Okay, so th- there are hints that those those character traits just persist into eternity. It's not like you get a fresh start um, after death. That the character that's been formed in in you over the course of your life that you have a role in forming, a big role um, that that continues on. And so, and two, talking about the objections because um, that is one of the a big probably uh, stumbling blocks for people who. Who don't accept Christianity? Who don't accept the validity of the Bible? They they have a problem in our culture, at least, with a God who would judge. Because you know, if God God is love, well, how can God do that? Um, now, you take them to you know Saudi Arabia. I don't think you're going to get the same kickback that God would um, would judge wicked people. And that's just because of the cultural beliefs that they have and the kind of the, the framework there. Um, it's more that God would have mercy on sinners. But I mean that's something that whenever I preach, I try in, in engaging with unbelievers and, and dealing with those kinds of of, of objections. Um, that if God doesn't judge, He's actually not very good. Um, and, and trying to get people to think of it from a different angle, and I, hopefully the Lord, you know, makes that uh, effective for somebody. But you know, I think especially dealing with youth, you're so correct that that's I think that's only going to get worse with time. So <clears throat> I think that's a very faithful thing. What kind of emotions ought we try to convey when we speak of hell? I mean, I've heard some speak of hell, and they're almost like glad that people are going there. Um, other, you just see such a range because it is an emotionally charged topic. Um, what kind of things ought people see in us as we describe it? It should grieve us greatly, greatly, greatly grieve us. Uh, and I think we should show compassion in it, not rage. 
And that has been, it saddens me that so much of hell preaching and the stereotype we give of hell, which sometimes is fulfilled. And times you say it's kind of a rageful, angry that you get yours. You're going to go to hell that you wicked, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, but it should sad us and it should make us compassionate and long for to give them the hope that we have because we didn't earn it. You know, those those that are going mm-hmm. to hell are no more deserving of hell uh, than, than we are, but we've been given grace. Uh, and uh, so I think we should approach this then like the uh, like the doctor that's giving the bad news. Uh, you know, the bad news that you have cancer and then ultimately <clears throat> give a good news potentially that there might be a cure. Uh, we should have those kind of, uh, do- that uh, a, do- a terrible doctor is a doctor that goes in, dude, you got cancer, you're gonna die, whatever. Uh, a doctor has to have a bedside manner and we need to have bedside manner when talking about hell. That's a good analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to have humility and uh, brokenheartedness that hell is real? And yes, people will go there that we're not happy about that. And I mean, you know, the Lord himself, I mean, Ezekiel, I think it's 17 or 18. Um, the Lord is, is saying, turn, 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 why will you die? The Lord has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Uh, God does not get kicks out of condemning people, though he will do it. Um, if people persist in their sin and they don't turn and look to him for salvation. What do you think about the hell houses that you find around Halloween? I actually, the only time uh, that I experienced a hell house uh, was a hell house at a church that uh, you and I both were part of, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> you might remember that. I don't. I have, didn't know that hell houses happened there. Uh, it might have been after you left, but yeah, there was a hundred percent. They did a hell house on Halloween, so uh, and we had stopped by to get something or something like that. Oh no, I think there was like I think it was a Wednesday night, and there was a Bible study uh, that we were doing instead, or something like that. Or, and then there was a hell house going on as well. So. Uh, uh, okay. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't have a high opinion of them. Uh, in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like uh, they treat hell like a dare video. Do you remember the old uh, that uh, the the old uh, drug resistance thing dare when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. So I there's been a lot of evidence that dare did not work. Uh, a lot of says so it's not really much of a thing anymore, and it's approached differently, and it's just kind of it's trying to scare you and intimidate you, and but ultimately kind kind of almost depict almost allowed a lot of young people to think oh. Well, the lame people are the people that dare people, but the cool people are these druggies that, you know, <laughs> those drug addicts that, you know, because uh, I mean, it just such extreme characteristic characters uh, that actually didn't actually help deal with the real issues uh, and uh, and didn't. And I think sometimes uh, that it were uh, sometimes hell houses rely on a deficient understanding of sin. Uh, and so, you know, I, one way that I've never heard of a hell house that, for example, has a room that depicts gossip, uh, and gossip going to hell or any of these respectable sins. Uh, I mean, I, that is generally just the really bad sins that, uh, that Baptist churches in so-and-so part of the country define as the bad sins, uh, rather than, rather than biblically defined bad sins or, all sins in general when in the reality is you know we can go to hell for our pride i mean i think the bible was we talked about in our sin episode anything done without faith is counted as sin so somebody people go to hell 
for their work of humanitarian work done for their own glory. And that's not portrayed and understood in hell houses. And I don't know that it can be portrayed and understood in hell houses. But further, it's mockably cartoonish uh, on a more uh, spiritual mm-hmm. issue. Uh, and I think this cartoonish presentation of it just, I mean, it makes it like Santa Claus that you're going to grow out of believing. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good illustration. Yeah, I mean, it is just kind of outrageous. Uh, now, can we say that uh, people have, as a result of visiting those, uh, repented of their sin and turned to Christ? I think absolutely. However, just because that was the result doesn't mean that you know the methods uh, don't matter at all. Um, and I think probably a lot of people um, in the world just look at those as silly. Now they may look at the you know our our belief in hell to begin with as silly. That doesn't mean we we lose it. But you know it's not like the Bible commands us to do hell houses to teach people about it. Um, you know Jesus and the the apostles didn't set up a hell house there in Galilee. There I, I think I've been to one maybe one time. I, I don't have a, a lot of exposure, but it, it just seems that there are better ways that a church or whatever could, could use their time and their resources. Um, <clears throat> so how about when it comes to in the home? What place does hell have for parents uh, in their child rearing, their teaching, their discipling of their kids? It should not be vindictive. And that's one thing I think is important to say uh, because, you know, I think it would be easier for, easy for a parent uh, to use that as a vindictive thing to the rebellious child, even that unregenerate rebellious child. Well, God's going to get you. And uh, I, that, uh, you know, what you've done to me will get its reward, just reward. Uh, but I think it is right to use the gospel as a warning that uh, warning call to salvation. I think we oftentimes we undermine that. And oftentimes we say, you know, uh, in some sense, fear is not useful as a gospel, as a means of uh, presenting the gospel. I think scripture is extremely clear repeatedly and using hell as a warning in order to bring people to the good news of their hope of salvation. And so I think if we dare to suggest that any sense of fear of hell is uh, dangerous and not the right way to present the gospel. I think we have gone far beyond what Scripture says. Uh, but I, I think also use this to show them the justice of God. Because, again, it's just not, it's not just about what we're saved from. This is also about hell is a this portrait to us that God, real justice happens. If there is no hell, ultimately... Uh, ultimately, those who've done the greatest atrocities, it doesn't really matter. It's not significant. Uh, but God cares about uh, atrocities that are done throughout this world. God cares about about how your child is hurt. And God will have his just judgment one day. You know, you look at the preaching of the apostles in the New Testament, in Acts in particular, and you see them talk often about uh, Jesus, God's appointed Jesus as the one who will judge and so it's brought in there that Jesus is the judge, but he's also the Savior. Um, there's not just this announcement of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, you know, they talk about the reality of judgment. I mean, Paul in Acts 17 um, brings that up to these people who have no concept of the God of the Bible. He starts a creation and moves, you know, that God is going to judge people one day. Uh, and he's proved this by raising Jesus from the dead. And then, you know, now he offers him to you. But like you said, that the reality of judgment is, and we talked about this earlier about connecting discipline with the good news. Um, the fact that we are disciplined 
disciplining you is, is because one day you will have to face God. And so we don't want you to face God um, to and stand there for your sin, but that you can stand there in Christ, clothed in his righteousness. Uh, and so that's why we're, we love you enough to teach you and to put you away from that, your way that leads ultimately is going to lead to destruction. So Tony, any, um, any resources that you would recommend? If not, that's okay. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Uh, I mean, I think, I think read the gospels. That's, uh, I mean, it's not like a book on it, Mm. uh, in that sense, but, uh, I think a one great, great way to, uh, navigate this topic with kids is to go through something like gospel Matthew and family worship, because it is going to come up over and over and over again. And Jesus is teaching. I mean, Jesus taught more about hell than anyone else in the Bible or teach revelation. That will be fun. Uh, but, uh, with a two year old, (laughs) but I mean, God works through it. Uh, but I think something like that, I think would be a great way. I think even far better than, I don't, I don't know of a song that's going to be hell, 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 kids are going to go to hell. You know, <laughs> that would be pretty weird. You could do stripers to hell with the devil. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's a great advice. Just take them, take them to Jesus himself. Um, because he, he does talk about judgment, uh, quite a bit and more than anyone else in the Bible, like you said. And so, and yet he's the one who took on flesh to rescue us. And so you, you get grace and you get the warning of judgment. So uh, I think that's, that's just no better place to go. He's the reason for the seasons as well. Thinking with me about this. Um, I think this has been a beneficial conversation for me, just reflecting on my own family, my own ministry. And uh, I pray that it will be so for those who listen. So uh, God bless blessings to our listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.